Welcome to New Mercies, a podcast by Mercy Ships, where we'll take you behind the scenes and onboard our incredible hospital ships that are transforming lives all over the world. We invite you to join us each week as we sit down with our crew, patients, volunteers, and partners to hear their stories of life-changing hope and healing. Today, Zodi Schwind is joining me on New Mercies. Zodi got on board the Africa Mercy with her family when she was just 12 years old, and who she met, what she saw, and the things she experienced during her time growing up on the ship has forever changed her. Get ready for some amazing insights from this young woman. Here is my interview with Zodi Schwind. Well, Zodi, welcome to New Mercies, and thank you so much for sitting down with me today to share a little bit of your very unique Mercy Ships journey. You are about to go back to college and start another year. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up on the Africa Mercy several years ago. Thank you so much for having me. I am always so excited to talk about Mercy Ships. Hmm. So um, my family joined Mercy Ships in 2012. I was nine years old. Hmm. We moved from California where my dad had just finished seminary. And at that point, we weren't sure what we were going to do. My parents knew they wanted to go back into missions. And side note, they actually met through Mercy Ships. But they didn't think that they would go back to Mercy Ships because they were like, God has opened new doors for us. And so we're debating on whether to go to Ethiopia, where I was originally born, and do ministry there, or to go back with Mercy Ships. And Mm. uh, God just led us back to the ship. And it was a family decision, which was a really big thing because that just really helped us as a family to feel like we were all together in the mission of Mercy Ships. Yeah. And I was so excited. Oh my goodness. I was so excited to go back to Africa because I yeah was born in East Africa, but I'd never been to West Africa. I loved it. That is so cool. Tell us a little bit about your growing up and your journey to California. I was born in Ethiopia and my sister and I were adopted. I was four and she was a baby. And so my parents adopted us from this and we were brought to the States. So we're U.S. citizens. But um, we lived in New York for a year. Then we lived in California for about five years. And um, I grew up in an international community actually in California. So it wasn't as much of a shock to go to the ship being Mm. surrounded by kids from all over the world because my best friends in California were from Vietnam, India, and uh, Thailand. So that was pre-exposure, I guess you could say. So going to the ship was just an expansion of that. Wow, that's so cool. So you went to the ship as a little girl, really. Before we hear about that real quick, I had mentioned you're just about to go back to college. So why don't you let us all know real quick where you're at and what you're doing before we get back into your childhood on the ship. I'm attending George Fox University, which is a small uh, private Christian school up in Oregon, and I'm studying biochemistry because I am interested in going to med school. Shocker, the ship kind of inspired me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm going into my last year, um, and I'm just so, so excited. I love it. I love the major. There's a lot to explore just in the sciences and the students that I've met there. Oh, that's so cool. Well, I love that Mercy Ships inspired you so much as a little one on board to now as a young woman, you know, your your future is really shaped by that. So that is so cool. So you got on the ship as a little girl. Tell us a little bit about your childhood on board. What was that like for you? 
I was prepared for the international aspect of being on board and being surrounded by community. I wasn't actually prepared, I would say, for being in West Africa. I loved mm. it and I was so excited, but I'd never been exposed to so much need and poverty. Wow. I'd never seen that. And I think in the beginning, it was just like, I was shocked. Like, I was like, I can't believe that there are children that I'm seeing on the streets who don't actually have like a family to go back to who like mm. are willing to love them and also just provide for their daily needs. Like this is a lot of these people are just living what by on a dollar a day. Yeah. So that was huge for me. And then interacting with the patients and being like, oh my goodness, they don't have access to medical care. And it suddenly hit. And I think that as a kid, the only way I could process it was, you know, in the beginning, you're kind of anxious about it. But then I just suddenly was like, wait, actually, I can see people like hmm. beyond just the tumor. And that was definitely a big thing with my parents. Like they wanted us to be involved. Again, going back to that, the family, we were doing it together. Yeah. And so this realization that I didn't have to be like scared to see a patient with a giant tumor because my mom was there with me hmm. and we were interacting with this little girl or this little boy or this uh, grown man and that it was a person behind it. And so that was a big thing. In the beginning, I didn't see the person. I just saw whatever the illness was, or even just the poverty. But then I would say about a year into it, I was like, wow, there's so much joy here amidst mm. the pain. There's just an element of family is together in this. Yeah. We're going to come around as a community. And then, of course, experience the community on the ship and watching the nurses take care of the patients and being down there and playing Jenga or <laughs> painting nails. And it's like, I'm a little girl and you're the other patient was a little girl. And it's like, we can connect on that. Yes. Um, and so just it was a lot to be honest, yeah. but it was transformative in hmm. so many ways. Wow. You mentioned that you were adopted at four years old from East Africa and then being on the ship as a little girl encountering poverty that you had never seen before. It makes me wonder a little bit, what was your childhood like in East Africa before you were adopted? Do you, do you remember those years at all? I do to an extent I think as a kid, you have more, I just had a lot more pictures and like emotional memories versus like actually comprehending what situation I was in. But again, my adoption was directly due to poverty. Like mm. my biological family couldn't provide for us, but they knew that the best way to care for us would be in a sense to give up your child. And again, I didn't understand that until sure. now, I'm even processing it now as I'm talking, yeah. until I was back in West Africa and I was like, oh my goodness, Poverty is not just like this, I don't know, idealized thing that we think of maybe in certain places in the States, like, oh, well, it's a concept. No, it's something that you just can't get out of it right away. It's mm. you want to care for your family so much, but maybe the infrastructure in your country just doesn't allow you to be able to in that sense or the lack of education that was given to you. It can be just a hole that you feel like you're stuck in. And it gave me definitely so much more sympathy yeah. towards my own story mm -hmm. and realizing that not to use the word saved in the sense of like, oh, my childhood would have been terrible if I'd grown up in Ethiopia. No, not in that sense. Right. But he's given, there's a reason why I was taken out of poverty, mm. but there's a reason why I'm called back to Africa, go yeah. back and serve my people. Awesome. Love that. It's just really special. And I know that our listeners, some of them will know your family personally, but a lot of them won't. But you just have a phenomenal mom and dad and family who have really done an incredible job to 
point their children to Jesus and also give them God's heart for the world. And so I just, so, so cool. Well, it is one thing to be a small child on the ship. And I love that your parents were intentional to take you down to the hospital to interact with the patients. What was that like, though, being a teenager on board? Because that's it's a little different season of life. What was that like for you? Yes, being a teenager is definitely different on the ship. Because when you're younger, when you're a kid, you just kind of absorb experiences and you make light of it. You are able to have, you know, your imagination is just wild and you're having so much fun about everything. But then I feel like when you get become a teenager, you become self-aware and you're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> my actions, like, oh, what do they think of me? And all of this. So you're you're trying to figure out your surroundings in such a in another light. So being on the ship, I think it was realizing it was a struggle in a sense of realizing I I guess I should talk about the academy just a little bit. You only have so many students in your class. And I think being at one point, my sister and I were the only girls in junior high and high school. And we had probably like 10 guys, 10, 11 guys. And so this idea of like, okay, what does it mean to be a teenage girl on a ship? And you have friends who are like your weird pseudo siblings because you know everything (laughs) about them. And And you live with them. (laughs) Exactly. Like you're trying to navigate who you are in the context of a larger community. And um, I think that one thing that really helped me was to start making friends with young ladies that were on the ship. Because if you know anything about the ship, we have way more women than men. (laughs) And so I started getting to know some of the teachers, which I'll talk about one person in particular, one of my my French teacher. She had a huge impact on me in realizing I can have conversations with adults and adults are actually really interesting. Um, Not just, you know, you're growing up as a kid, you're like, oh, why are people talking all the time? But then as you get older, you're like, okay, there's way more happening here. Feeling like somehow like contributing to the mission of mercy ships in okay i'm understanding what medical capacity building actually is versus just hearing about it let Mm. me get involved in that sense or oh i'm interested in writing Hmm, is there any way i could write a little bit about my experience on the ship so maybe join the writing club again i guess i could say writing was a great way for me to process my thoughts and emotions on board um, but I also, as a teenager, I did leave the ship for two years. Okay. Um, and that gave me a different perspective on the ship. And when I returned, I realized, man, I need to get more involved. Like, mm. this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience wow. that I almost took for granted when I was younger. But now the networking you can make on the ship you are sitting at a table with an engineer with a nurse with a surgeon and who knows like who knows who else you know you might be there are galley workers who actually are lawyers and it's just like realizing or actually it's someone who's taking a gap year so why don't I talk to them and get to know them right so networking I became a way more attuned to just the quality of people that were coming on board and I was like I want to get to know you why are you here what are you doing here in just like in the community and what do you hope to do? So engaging was a really big thing that I started to do more as a teenager. That's such a mature thing. I mean, <laughs> your maturity <laughs> level as a teenager is mind blowing, but, but you're so right to really intentionally take advantage of these opportunities and these relationships around you. Was there a person in particular, I'm sure there were many, but was there a person in particular that really impacted you? 
I mentioned my French teacher. Um, her name is Miriam Corman. Shout out to you. <laughs> she was from Switzerland and she came on board. Now that I think about it, she's probably like 23. Like mm. I'm 20 now. So to think about that, I'm like, oh my word, she's so young. Yeah. But of course, then you're like, oh, you're so old. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I got to know her and she was the French teacher for the junior high and high school. And she had such bubbly energy for everybody and everything. She loved teaching French, but she also loved doing like creating scavenger hunts for like the retreats that we went on. And they were always like somehow they were focused on returning us back to like the heart of God and learning about who we are in the context of our relationship with God and how complex God is. Mm -hmm. And so I loved her scavenger hunts and just the outlook that she had on life. She was she was always smiling, but she was also willing to talk about the hard things and quick to admit like, hey, I'm struggling. So that was encouraging to me as mm. a kid on the ship because yeah. we have people visiting all the time and it's so easy to just say, oh yeah, living on a ship is great all the time. And, you know, just to put a happy face on and right. for majority of the time it is great, but it's also life. Like yeah. everyday life is not great all the time. Yeah. But we became really good friends. And so we like on one sale, we binge watched the uh, Jurassic Park and we drank chai and had cookies. And then I actually went and visited her when I was 16. I went to Switzerland and had time with her. And we make chai tea all the time in the crew galley. And she didn't just impact my life, but she impacted, of course, my sister's life, my mom's life. She spent Christmas with us quite a bit. Wow. So just a person in my life at that time that I really, really needed. And um, yes, I want to go back and see her again. Yes. And just she just had so much love for the Academy students. And I really felt that. And I'm so appreciative. Oh, that is really neat. Well, you said that she's from Switzerland and there are teachers in the Academy from all over the world. That's one of the unique aspects of the Academy on board our ships, but there's also a lot of other unique things that come along with learning on a ship as a student. So can you tell us a little bit about some unique experiences that you had in the Academy? So I just had to take 22 steps to get to school, which was kind of great. (laughs) And actually, sadly, I was late sometimes, which... (laughs) <laughs> and that's just that's just sad on so many levels. <laughs> but um, the academy, definitely. There are, again, as I mentioned, there are students from all over. Professor, uh, not professors, teachers from all over the world as well. But um, because we are such a unique school, we have a lot of unique experiences. So field trips, they mm-hmm. get very creative. So one time when we were in Madagascar, we went to a lemur park. Oh, wow. Or um, a retreat. Uh, this was actually a youth retreat in, um, we went to, in Congo, the Republic of Congo. We just went and camped on a beach and we're like, we'll see what happens. <laughs> we were fine. But I mean, like, it was, now that I think about it, I was like, oh, it was a little sketch. <laughs> but it was fun and it, I made really good memories. Wow. Um, the Academy also, I think what I, I really loved about it was it was so small. And again, okay, that's what I loved and also was really hard at times, but I love that I could have a relationship with my teachers beyond just the student teacher relationship where it's like, I actually could go to them and say, hey, you know, I'm struggling even in my life. Mm -hmm. Can you help me out? And one of those teachers was Miss Robinson, who my English teacher, the hardest teacher I've ever had, but the best teacher I've ever had. Like. The advice she has given me has gotten me through college, (laughs) how to write papers, how to just articulate my ideas. 
Yes. So I really am so thankful for her and the professors, the teachers in general who just invest in you. Like, you know that they're there as volunteers as well. So they care. Mm. And most important, they love God and they love us as students. So if you don't feel seen by your teacher, like go up to them and be honest because they're human too. Like say for students who are maybe may or may not listen to this, like your teachers really care about you. The Academy is just so unique in so many ways. Hmm, That is so cool. Some of these amazing experiences being on the youth retreats. I know we just had Miss Susan on and she was saying that one of her highlights was the retreats that they got to go on as students and teachers as well. With all of the uniquenesses of this academy, and you mentioned amazing teachers that you had that genuinely cared for you. Tell us a story about something that you did in the academy. You know, when you're a teenager, you kind of test the limits just a little bit. (laughs) But on the ship, we have so many rules on the ship (laughs) that it's kind of like, oh, like I need, you know, you have that extra energy. So this is a story a little bit about that. Um, And it was just kind of one of those places in my life as well where a lot was going on. And I was trying to understand myself and the situations I was in as well. So we went on a youth retreat where the youth retreats lasted about, we had two nights at a location that they chose and we were in Madagascar at this time. So we actually stayed at this pretty, really cool eco-friendly park. So Hmm. they were really invested in like planting more trees. And so we got to hear about that. But at this place, we also went on rafts down a river. And so we had two rafts. The te- I don't know why, in retrospect, I'm like, maybe they should have thought about this. But they put it, all the <laughs> teachers were on one raft oh, with no. some students. And then we had a second raft with just students, of course, oh. right? You know, <laughs> great idea. But it was fun because there were two guys on each side, two Malagasy guys, so who had these long poles. And they were just pushing it against the bottom of the like river so that we could go. And so I would, it was really hot. And I was just sitting there and I was like, hmm, like this water looks really nice. (laughs) And of course, like the teachers are way ahead of us. And I'm like, they didn't specify that we couldn't swim. So I was like, hey, you know, do it. Apologize later. Oh, so I took my (laughs) shoes off. I was like, you guys, I'm going to jump in. And everyone was like, oh, my word, what? And I was like, they're like, Zodi, goody two shoes. Ah. (laughs) So I took my shoes off and I just jumped. And it's funny because I think back on that and I'm just like, it was such a moment of like freedom in that moment where I was like, I'm just seeing what happens. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but hey, you know what? Good or bad. And the water felt really nice, by the way. It was refreshing. (laughs) It was all worth it. And so I'm jumping and I'm just swimming. And I look back, I look ahead, and there is the other raft, and I can see the teacher's heads like, oh, you know, shaking in that weird little angsty way that it shakes. (laughs) (laughs) So I jump, I'm like, oh my goodness, okay. So I uh, like crawl back onto the raft, put my shoes on, and we get back. And of course, like there are some teachers who's like, who are like, I can't believe you did that, yada, yada, yada. I respect them a lot, but I don't remember what they said. <laughs> but it was just one of those things where it's like, look, you being a ship kid doesn't mean you're just perfect. It's just kind of a fun thing where exactly. it was harmless and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Things that you'll never regret. You know, you just got to jump. You just mm-hmm. got to jump in and go for it. Well, Zodi, other things that you'll probably never forget are some of the crazy things that you learn when you live on a ship. So tell us something that you learned from living on a ship. Time is like warped on the ship, Um, mainly because like 
you have so many people who have different like perceptions of time because certain cultures see time as a thing and others are like, what's that? And so um, in the West African countries we were in, that's time doesn't really exist. People exist. That's what's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And so one thing I really, I learned and I kind of switched up the, the way that we say it here in the States. So this is my kind of takeaway of life, ship on life on board, but also kind of life on land to be early is to waste time. To be on time is pointless. To be late is desired. <laughs> I mean, it's so, so ridiculous, but it's so true. Don't get there on time. Nobody cares. You are wasting your time. And oh unfortunately, gosh. this is like passed on to like my life here. Like if oh, I get no. to class on time, that is perfect. Like I'm okay with that. But if I get there like two minutes early, I'm like, oh my word, I could have done so much. <laughs> I could like read a paper and blah, blah, blah. But if I get there like a little late, I'm like, nah, it's okay. You know, it's the guest of honor that arrives late. So I'm oh. like, when everybody turns to me and I'm like walking in, I'm like, thank you. No, <laughs> not exactly. But it's just time is weird. It doesn't exist. Yes, that's true. In fact, I say that ship years are like dog years. You know, time mm -hmm. is, is so different on the ship. You can know someone for a week and it seems like you've known them for five months. Well, how did you see lives change when you were on board? Well, okay. So the Academy has something called work experience. And this is a week where students are able to shadow somebody in um, any department, really. You have to interview for it. So, you know, they really want to make it as real as they can for students to, like, know how to enter the, enter the workspace. So I applied to work for the Hope Center, which is mm. where af before a patient has surgery, they have to stay at the Hope Center, which is an off-ship um, facility where they wait before they go on board to have their surgery. And then after their surgery, once they've been in the hospital for post-op time, um, then they're brought to the off-ship um, Hope Center so that they can finish their recovery. So I had the opportunity to work there twice, actually. Wow. And I was really touched by, of course, like the patients, because that's a huge focus of Mercy Ships, but also the day crew. I mm. got to have a lot of interactions with the day crew in being able to practice my French and being able to help mop the floors or pass out food to patients and hearing um, the stories from different day crew and just trying to teach them funny like English American idioms mm -hmm. and seeing just how much they were invested in Mercy Ships as well and how some of them like were just amazed by how much Mercy Ships was giving like to the patients, but they were also like, I'm a part of this too. Like wow. I'm a part of serving my people. Mm. And that's what Mercy, Mercy Ships wants to do. Like, you know, we want to be out of a job in the mm. sense of people taking care of others in their nation. Yeah. Um, and so I actually also got to shadow medical capacity building. So wow. again, I shadowed a, a nurse and I went to local hospitals with him and I got to see how um, they they take care of their patients. And then I was with him as he trained local nurses on how to read an EKG and all of these little things that were just amazing to see how receptive people were in whatever nation we were in to be able to learn something to better their own people, wow. not for just like foreigners just should change everything because that's mm. not sustainable. Right. And I was just, I was amazed by the, yeah, just the desire to learn and desire to share. Um, and I, I guess one thing is I was impacted a lot as well by the day crew that helped my dad 
Um, so on the ship, he was he worked as a staff development manager, and then he worked in hospital chaplaincy. And mm. my dad was really intentional about our family getting to know whatever who, whatever day crew he worked alongside. So mm. we would get to know him and his family. Um, so like Tonton Ben, Tonton is like uncle. Tonton oh. Ben in Benin, Tonton Ansuman in um, Guinea. Tonton Raoul in Congo, and to go to their families and to meet their family and um, just to be in the country with them. And um, Tonton Raoul actually later on, after Mercy Ships, years after, my dad has still been in contact with him and he actually helped with the entire adoption process of my brothers. My brothers are from the Republic of Congo. So wow. that was a three year process. And Tonton mm. Raoul, because of the relationships we were able to build with him with through Mercy Ships, um, has just gone out of went out of his way to meet regularly at the courts to make sure that the process went through. And so I was just so wow. touched by hmm. the day crew, but also just the local people and the patients. And um, I, I've learned so much. I've taken so much away from that type of kindness, open-heartedness, generosity. Yeah. And it's so neat that you experienced this really as a child and in your adolescence, because a lot of what you're sharing and, and the impact that your time on the ship made on you is something I think we hear from adults, you know, but how incredible that we also give that opportunity to young people in mercy ships, the kids who come with their parents who are serving, their lives are impacted as well. And they have access to all these things. Where else would a high school student be able to, you know, shadow nurses and doctors and what they're doing so and be alongside patients who are recovering at the hope center just extravagant opportunities that the young people have on board our ships. It's incredible. I know that when you were on the ship, I think it was maybe your last year before you left for college, you got to go back and visit Ethiopia with your family. Was that your first time back? And can you tell us a little bit about that experience? It was my first time back. And I fell in love with Ethiopia all over again. It's Ethiopia has always had a special place in my heart because I have memories of it. And my yeah. parents were really intentional about making sure we are plugged into the Ethiopian community. So e eating Ethiopian food, we had a lot of Ethiopian dresses. There was mm. even like in California, a an Ethiopian adoptee summer camp where wow. families got together who'd adopted children from Ethiopia, but who wanted to integrate their children into the culture and have a little bit of sense of being from somewhere, you yeah. know, and that like retaining that culture. So when I went That's back so to cool. Ethiopia, it was just kind of a culmination of all of that. Wow. And I was like, this is where I belong. Mm. Like I'm home again. And again, my sister and I experienced it very differently because we have different stories. But for me, I went back to my village. I met my biological family again. And they were so welcoming of all of us, uh, my parents especially. And my dad made an interesting comment. He said, a lot of times in a lot of certain West African villages we go to, it's so apparent that he's white. And everybody makes a big comment, like both my parents are white. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh, you're the foreigner, the Yovo. Like all this attention is going to be put on you and you're going to still feel like an outsider in that sense of like, there's so much attention that you're like, oh, I'm not welcome to the community the same way. So, but my dad said when he went back to Ethiopia, he said, I didn't notice that. Like your village took me in as wow. their own oh. and they were part of the family. And that was amazing. And for me, it just 
was cut like full circle because I prayed for years. I'm like, God, mm. I don't know my family, but please make sure they're alive still yeah. and that I can meet them and that there's can be like a restoration because yeah. there was a lot of things I was dealing with after being adopted. Sure. And just I felt the healing and it was like, wow, this chapter of my life, being an, adopt, an adoptee will never like I, it will always be a part of my life. But sure. this healing there's healing now and that chapter can close in my life. Mm-hmm. And I am called, I feel like I have been called back to Ethiopia. I was called out for a reason and I've been called back for a reason. And um, I felt that a lot. The food is amazing, um, <laughs> which I mean, just saying that yep. makes it easier to go back. Literally, I think the air smelled of spices. I was like, wow, this, you gotta be kidding me. And the people are really gracious and kind. Mm-hmm. Of course, I mean, I could say that about any country, but I really felt it. And of course, was there bias? Yes. But I, <laughs> I knew that this is a place I could be welcome back to. Wow. So that is that so special. Beautiful. Yeah. What an, what an awesome opportunity. And I love that your parents were intentional in making that happen for you. That is, that is a really beautiful thing. Well, I know that was just one thing that impacted you, but growing up on the ship, what are some other ways that your life has been changed because of your experience on board and how has it influenced your future? I think going back to what you'd mentioned about like almost speaking from the point of view of an adult of like what I've gained from living on board. Mm -hmm. And I know adults have said a lot of the same things, but I think the biggest difference between visiting, like living on board as an adult and living on board as a child is that your foundational years are created on the ship. As an adult, you've had a lot of time to mature and a lot of time to have so many other things that have built you into who you are. Mm. But as a kid on the ship, your adult life will always be impacted by what you've seen on the ship. Who you become will be, whether you want it to be or not. And again, that looks different from both me and my sister, but even for both of us, I can say service is really big, like service mindedness. And I was just talking to her a couple days ago and she looks at me and she's like, you know, I've never really, money has never been something, a a huge thing for me. Like Mm. in the sense of our parents have been volunteers for most of our lives. And so she was saying like, I don't want to get a career because of money. I want to get a career to change lives, like to be able to impact other people and to see that impact to see that. And I thought the same thing. I was like, man, I don't stress about money. And of course, like in life, like things will be stressful. But I realized like when I have, when I do have a job, like I being intentional about saving money to be able to give to people, because I know that there are volunteers out there. There are people that need that and always giving. And I know that that was because of the ship of just the people that were, who worked on board and the people who came on board, who were so service minded. And um, I'm so grateful. Um, And of course, I think the biggest takeaway would be medicine. I do want to go into medicine. I was so impacted by the surgeons I met on on board, especially of Dr. Gary, legendary Dr. Gary. Oh, Dr. (laughs) Gary. I got to get him on the podcast, by the way. You know, Dr. Gary, if you're listening, this is your formal invitation. (laughs) Yes. And someday, hopefully when I'm a doctor, I would love to practice with you just for a little bit to uh, to do a surgery with you. That'd be amazing. But yes, I want to go into um, medicine because I didn't share the story earlier, but I'll just kind of say, say it briefly. When I was 12, the Africa Mercy was in Madagascar, mm-hmm. and um, I got to shadow an OBGYN at our fistula clinic. So VVF, vesicovaginal fistula, is something that occurs when a woman is in prolonged labor and it's obstructed, so her 
she's in labor for like three or four days. So mm-hmm. by that time, her she's lost her baby. And then she's also left with, she's incontinent. So she is licking urine and sometimes feces. Mm-hmm. And if she's pushed out of her community because she smells and people yeah. just, she just feels isolated. And so there are women that were treated on the ship who had had a fistula for over 20 years. And I was able to go and shadow this um, surgeon this OBGYN in Madagascar and I went to the clinic and I saw the patients and just like the glow after the surgery and like realizing they were dry and then Mm -hmm. we had a dress ceremony so they got adorned in these beautiful dresses that they could take home and hearing their testimonies about now I feel like I'm whole Mm -hmm. and I think the thing is is that I noticed that the doctors was so beautiful is Yes, the patients maybe were whole in the sense medically, but they were whole before. And I want to be a part of saying you have dignity before the surgery just as much as you have dignity outside. I want I want you to feel that. And mm. I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to become an obstetrician and gynecologist. And Ethiopia has a huge need for fistula, fistula surgeons. And so I am want to do that because I have seen the impact of it. Um, and one really quick thing is, this is yeah. really crazy, but last summer here in Texas, I said, oh, I want to shadow an OBGYN. So we go to this um, clinic uh-huh. here in um, the Tyler area, and I start, I, I meet this doctor, and I'm like, why do you look so familiar? And I said to him, I was like, have you ever worked for Mercy Ships? And he's like, yes, I was at their VVF clinic in um Madagascar. And I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding. I was like, are you Dr. Putman? Oh my word. He was the same surgeon. I, same surgeon slash OBGYN that I had shadowed in Madagascar. You are kidding me. And I was like, this is insane. When you were 12 years old. When I was 12 years old. And I was like, he was the one that sat me down. And he, he told me about like the hard truths about being an OBGYN, but he also said like, what had how fulfilling it had been as a profession. And so I got to shadow him last summer here <laughs> in the States. And what? we worked at a, it was like a low income clinic. So it was kind of the same environment that I want to work in, yeah. like being able to help people here in the States who just ne- don't necessarily have the insurance to pay for like check regular checkups and just to be there and say, hey, I'm I'm here to serve in whatever way I can. Wow. It was crazy. I oh, was Zodi, in that's shock incredible. For oh so my goodness. Long. Wow. That is so cool. Well, I just love how God does these special things, right? To full circle moments to I just know. kind of bring confirmation in your life to I say, yes, like, okay. you're on the right path. You know, you're doing exactly what you were created to do. It is so special to hear just how your life has been impacted and how Mercy Ships has really formed the trajectory of your life, you know, and where you want to go because of what you've seen and what you've experienced. And now you want to go make a difference. So Zodi, thank you so much for sharing just a little bit of your Mercy Ships journey with us today. You are so articulate and so inspiring. I know I've just been very challenged and encouraged by you today. And I know that our listeners have been as well. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for like, for me, it was like a processing time to kind of think through my own story because I haven't thought about it in a while you know life goes on and I've am in school and all this but just to sit and like remember has been so good for me thank Mm. you for more information about mercy ships go to mercyships.org come back next week for another amazing guest sharing their mercy ships journey 